Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the prolific writer, podcaster, and recent book author, Rosemary Orchard. Rosemary, welcome to the show. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me. So we kick off the show with a little icebreaker question from the audience. And uh, I was actually, I was starting to run low. And so I tweeted out this morning asking for some and got a quite a few. So thank you, everybody who gave me some. But uh, one of the questions sort of kicked off a little firestorm here. And so I figured that would be a good one to go with. So this is started by Jordan, but then a lot of people piled on. Uh, there's apparently strong opinions on this. So just a pre-warning, there is apparently a right answer. And if you're wrong, uh, you will get shunned. So, I'll just read it exactly as it's written. Pineapples on pizza, yes or no? Oh, I am (laughs) really sorry to everybody who likes traditional pizza, but I do like pineapple on pizza. Okay, well, I think uh, the majority of people asking were were in the same camp as you. Well, here's my thing. I enjoy pineapple on pizza, but I'm very aware it's not a traditional pizza. Now, if I want a traditional pizza, then I'm not going to go with pineapple. If I want the comfort food that I grew up with, that's ham and pineapple pizza um, with lots of extra onion and cheese on top. So it depends. But yes, I'm a pineapple on pizza person. Yeah. See, here in the States, everybody thinks that like their pizza is traditional pizza, but one, nobody's pizza here is like traditional, you know, Italian pizza. And every everywhere you go, it's like a very different style. In some mm-hmm. cases, people won't even acknowledge that it's uh, it's really pizza. And where I'm from, we have a very weird pizza called St. Louis style pizza that has this sort of bizarre cheese that if you didn't grow up here, everybody hates it. But everybody who grows up here loves it. And so it's probably bad. And we're all just conditioned to like it. Well, I mean, that's probably pretty much the same as some of the food I grew up with. Uh, my my grandmother once joked that my dad could burn toast, um, which he has done many a time. Uh, but <laughs> I grew up eating it and I'm just fine. So, you know, I, I, I learned culinary skills from the greats. There you go. All right. Um, well, if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask a guest on the show, you can tweet me at launch.fm with the hashtag icebreaker. And uh, I might ask a future guest your question. So before we get into uh, your book, which is the thing I'm kind of really excited to talk to you about, because I don't know anything about that process. Um, I want to give everybody sort of a rundown of who you are. So the question I always ask everybody is, where are you from? Do you have any formal education related to what you're doing now? And what was your career like sort of pre uh, this project? Although in your case, we're probably going to talk about your podcast and stuff as well. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, I'm originally from the southwest of the UK. I was born in Bristol, uh, not that long ago, but at the same time, a very long time ago, uh, depending (laughs) on how you look at time. It's one of these things that's starting to sneak up on me. Um, And uh, now I live in Vienna. um, And education-wise and career-wise, I feel a little all over the place. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, And so I went to university and I studied French and German thinking, I'll be a French and German teacher at school. Languages are a great idea. And then I remembered how I had been the only person in my classes who actually liked them and thought, (laughs) I don't know if that's really the right thing for me. So part of my degree program, I could do I could learn to teach English as a foreign language. So I did that. And that kind of relates to what I do, because a lot of what I do now is based around the idea of teaching and explaining things for other people. Um, and so that, that's been helpful. Um, and then after I'd been an English teacher for a while, um, and I taught in several places, um, I decided that I was 
going to go back to university and do another degree in IT. Now, I didn't actually finish that degree. I got hired while I was still studying and got a full-time job and thought, well, if I've got the job, why do I need to study? Um, you know, these things happen. Um, and uh, yeah, so I have now a general IT background, but it's not related to my day job and any, uh, you know, the, the day job of podcasting and, and things like that in any, any way. Uh, the closest it comes is when people need support with setting up, you know, uh, email uh, certificates on their, <laughs> right. on their iPhones or something. Um, and, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, here are the Apple instructions. Just airdrop the certificate to your phone and you're good to go. Um, and they are always amazed that I know how to Google, but I think every podcaster <laughs> has learned that technique at some point. Yeah, I mean, uh, software development is basically Googling is our job. Mm -hmm. There's a meme hanging in my office at work, um, which is something like, um, doctors, don't Google stuff. That's not how we do our jobs. And then the next slide is a programmer just sitting there with their eyes going, don't tell me how to do my job. <laughs> I, I, I joked with my boss that 70% of my, my, my work is Googling um, and Stack Overflow because it is, you know, it's figuring out how to solve all of these problems and finding ways that other people have failed at solving these problems so that I can solve it is, of course, another part of that. Yeah. So then what is your, what is your career like then? Well, uh, I'm... Uh, I can't really talk about the things I'm doing at work at the moment Fair too enough. much because uh, they 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 are related to security. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, but um, essentially, uh, I program web applications primarily um, and PHP scripts to run in the background to do stuff automatically uh, when things need doing, which is, you know, always nice. And that has lent itself to the other side of my life, the podcasting side of my life really well, because it gives me an in-depth look at how big systems work so that then I can go, okay, well, if I want to integrate with these big systems, you know, what are the little things I can do with this, which kind of led me to shortcuts, but shortcuts also led me to programming in many ways. So then how did you get into the, uh, I don't even know how to describe your sort of internet persona, because I, I always thought of you as like a writer, but then you're also a podcaster and a, an author. What was sort of the trajectory to get into that space? Well, uh, I was on Mac Power Users as a guest quite a while ago, um, and um, I just really enjoyed being a guest and talking to David and Katie. Um, it's Katie was helping host the show back then, um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and after that, I ended up helping moderate the Mac Power Users Facebook group, which has since closed down and moved to an independent forum, which is really nice. Um, and so I became quite embedded in the community, and I'd already had this idea of starting an automation podcast, but I was really uncertain about doing a podcast all on my own, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get guests in every week to, to bring people in. And so for weeks, I was racking my brains trying to think, how do I write an email to David Sparks that doesn't <laughs> sound inane, that says, I want to start a podcast with you? Uh, yes, I think that I can do this. Um, and then, um, I kid you not, I drafted my email and I was there looking it over and I was about to hit send when a notification slides down on the top of my iPad screen, David Sparks, how, do you have some time to talk about a podcast? And I'm there going, Whoa. okay, that's a little bit freaky, but I love it. Because it means I don't have to send this email, which I've just realized it's got a typo in it. So heaven knows what else is wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling uh, all too well. <laughs> yeah, so I ditched my draft. I just sent back pretty much, yes. <laughs> like, I'll make time whenever the time. Like, we can we can make this work. And it kind of took off from there. Um, and uh, that was... Um, 
I think I'd started working for the suite setup, doing a little bit of writing the year before, and that's just grown since then. I've now got an automation slash workflow column over there every two weeks, uh, which I really enjoy because I, I like going through the other articles and, and pinching things and saying, hey, like this doesn't appear to be automated. I reckon that this could be automated, <laughs> working it into stuff. That's that's the next column coming out in a couple of weeks. So I, I spotted something that Mike was doing in one of his articles and was like, huh, are you automating this? And Mike was like, no. You're going to make me automate it, aren't you? It's like, yes, yes, I am. But it's okay. <laughs> I'm doing it for your, for your own good. Um, and, and that's kind of how it all started. And then, yeah, I so I had automators. And then I started nested folders with Scotty. And I wrote Build Your OmniFocus Workflow with Ryan. Um, and, you know, I've just met these people partially through, um, in actually, both Ryan and Scotty's case, because we both beta tested OmniFocus 3. Um, and you know, we we were in the Slack channel on a regular basis talking to each other. And so it just kind of worked out. And I'm, you know, I'm very happy that the internet exists because I wouldn't have made some of the great friends that I currently have without it. So like your, the thing that you seem to focus on most of the time is automation, which, you know, mm -hmm. makes sense. How did you get into doing that? Is that just kind of an extension of, of your job, you know, writing applications? Uh, in many ways, I guess it is. But at the same time, um, I've always been a big fan of puzzles. Um, I recently started doing jigsaw puzzles again because it's a great way to pass the time. Um, and it's a nice thing that you can do with your hands so that you don't sit there just eating all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only other alternative to do with your hands. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, like, reading, that well, doesn't really occupy both of my hands. I can still use one hand to eat chocolate or popcorn <laughs> or something. It's like, yeah, I need something that occupies both hands here and my entire brain. Because um, I'm, I'm not very good when my brain's not doing something. I can't sit there in silence for a long time. Um, unless, you know, I've got a problem to work on. And that's generally what automation is for me. And I'm looking at things going, oh, this feels kind of clunky. And oh, I don't know, I, you know, like Airtable app on iOS. Ugh, why? Like, you know, I can't easily add stuff. And it takes a long time. And I want to be able to add 10 ideas in a go and then sort them all out afterwards. Um, and that's where my love of automation really comes in, because it's puzzles that I'm solving. And sometimes it's just different ways to do things or it's just ways to optimize my workflows. I recently rejected a lot of the workflows that I've been using for Screencasts Online so that everything is just automatically there for me in drafts. And I've been playing with beta applications, automation beta applications, the pushcat beta specifically, and the server feature to get that working. And I just really like that sense of accomplishment when you've not only solved a puzzle, but you've solved it in a way that really makes your life easier. Yeah, I imagine that's like really satisfying. Um, I, I'm definitely the like non-normal developer who uh, who kind of just goes with the extremely manual, slow way of doing things for way too long. Um, it's not until like you or you know somebody makes a like post about a shortcut that they made, and I'm like, oh, that's a thing that I've been manually doing for like a year that takes me you know 20 minutes, and I could do that in four seconds. That would be nice. <laughs> yes, yeah, and I think that you know it, it takes sometimes a very spe you know specific mindset to be like, yes, you could automate this. So um, I, I recently helped my mom automate something. She has been driving to the train station having to park a car and the way that you park your car and pay for the parking at this train station is you have to text a specific number with your registration plate uh, information um, and you know what she was doing she was opening messages starting a new message she was uh, finding the number uh, typing in the right information and then hitting send and I was there going okay mom I love you here's a button on your home screen that does this <laughs> and she 
thought that I'd done some kind of witchcraft. There was definitely the word hack somewhere in there. Um, and then she said, this is brilliant. Thank you very much. Because she's typed her registration plate information wrong a couple of times. And they still charge you even if you've given the wrong registration plate. And getting refunds from this company is a nightmare. Um, and so I've automated it. And then she was like, but what if I take the other car? Because my mom and my dad both have cars. And occasionally she takes my dad's car. And I was like, okay. Here is a slight modification. Now it will show you a choice of the two registration plates. Uh, let's license plate in British. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, you know, that, that was just something that I was there going immediately. Well, of course you can automate that, but most people don't see those opportunities, you know, because they're not looking for them. They're not used to saying, Oh, there's got to be an easier way to do this until something is really, really bugging them. Um, and I try to avoid things bugging me in the first place. <laughs> so. You already talked about your podcast a little bit. So you have automators with, with David Sparks that you were just talking about a minute ago. Yeah. And then you have another one called Nested Folders with Scotty Jackson. Yes. Yeah. That's a productivity based uh, with a slight GTD joke in the title. <laughs> yeah. I'm not as uh, into the GTD uh, world as some people. So that, that one went over my head. That's okay. It still kind of sounds productivity related if you're there like folders, nested folders. Yeah, I guess that could be productivity. Yeah, yeah. And so automators is part of the RelayFM network, right? Yes. And then nested folders is completely independent? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, so Scotty and I are just doing that one on our own and we're really enjoying it and trying to figure out exactly where it's going uh, longer term because we don't want to stop doing it anytime soon. So I'm curious... Um, I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's like details you can't talk about or whatever, but I'm curious how the differences between being part of a network with all that support and then doing something on your own, like how do those two projects feel different in that way? Well, I'm very fortunate because not only is Automators on a network, it's on Relay FM. Now, I will admit I've never been on another podcast network, but I, I do know that Mike and Steven do a lot of work to make the whole process really, really easy for us. Um, you know, they have a designer and editors and uh, assistants and things like that, which, you know, all help everything to just run smoothly. Um, and so... Nested folders in many ways is a lot more complex, but at the same time, knowing what I already knew about how really FM works allowed me to set up some systems for nested folders, which automate a lot of the background process. So for example, whenever one episode goes up, it automatically creates a draft blog post in the WordPress blog for the next uh, episode ready for that one. So whenever that one's edited and ready to go up, you know, that the outline is already there in, in WordPress. Um, and that you know, makes it easier in many ways. But, you know, it is obviously, you know, di different to do things without the financial backing of a network and all of the the automatic, for want of a better word, advertising that comes with the fact that, you know, you, you're on a network with other podcasts that people listen to. Right. So. Yeah. And do you feel like any less pressure, though, since it's just kind of your own thing where you can kind of do whatever you want? Um. No, but that's mostly because Stephen and Mike never made me yeah, feel pressured about doing anything. <laughs> I mean, that said, of course, Relay FM does have high quality standards that they want everything to adhere to. Um, that said, I, I've never, you know, had to 
talk to them about that sort of thing. It, it's just understood. And I am somebody who wants to do things as well as I possibly can anyway. So even though, um, you know, there, there might not be a, an external body, you know, saying, oh, yeah, and, you know, your audio has to be done exactly like this and that and the other for nested folders, you know, it's still, we, we want it to sound good. Um, and, uh, you know, the, if people go back and listen to the very first few episodes and the audio quality on Scotty's side is not great, but we got that sorted really quickly. And it's just, you know, been quite easy from there. Um, but, you know, we, we don't have, you know, the other people to go and bounce ideas off of if we if we need to. But at the same time, we're doing we've, I feel like we're doing OK. Yeah. And I guess I wasn't really meaning uh, from the network itself, but more from the being part of like, I, I mean, I don't know your numbers, but I assume uh, automators is has like a bigger audience and there's sort of regular, uh, you know, advertisers that you have to kind of manage and all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, the audience numbers are definitely bigger for automators. And I think a lot of that's down to David, who my co-host, who does a, a great job. Um, and, you know, people have been listening to David for a long time now because he's been doing Mac Power users for over 10 years, which is amazing. And I'm, I'm very happy to be working with him on that. Um, but so in some ways, the fact that Nessa Folders is smaller does make it less pressure, but it also means in some ways there's more pressure because, of course, we want to grow those numbers. And I mean, it is smaller, but it's by no means a small podcast. Um, you know, I was looking at it and looking at what Lipson say are the average stats for podcasts and going, okay, well, uh, that, that, our numbers are bigger than those. Oh, okay. That, that's impressive. I feel quite good about myself now, um, which was also secretly terrifying because it's like, oh, okay, wow, all of these people are listening. And I'm kind of just making this setup up as I go along, but <laughs> it does seem to be working. So That's awesome. And I guess like the fact that you started with automators, you got to sort of learn. I, I assume that was like a big learning opportunity, uh, yes. both because of the like assistance you got from Relay, but also just working with David, who's been doing this like you said for forever and very successful yeah. at it yes um and and david started out with okay like this is what i want to do for this this and this and i was like okay great that means i don't need to make decisions because decisions take a lot of mental overhead so i try and get rid of those as much as i possibly can um and so the fact that somebody was like this is how i do things on my power users and at the time it was free agents it's now focused it was like okay great cool then we're doing it like that. Let's, you know, keep your systems in place. And I've been able to take some of that and use it. So, for example, at the start of every episode, David or I count down from three and then on zero, we'll both hit the record button at the same time. And I've taken that to nested folders because it, it does make the ed ed editing a bit easier if, if the audio starts at the same time. Um, and, you know, just little tips and tricks like that have been fascinating to learn and uh of course being able to ask marco armet for a microphone recommendation is always an expensive yeah, yeah. activity um, <laughs> it's an unfair advantage although he, he i guess he posts all that online too now yeah yeah he posts all on his on his blog um and uh at some point i did ask you know really people which microphone should i buy and there was basically you know consensus just get i think it was a short 87a and that's what i'm using now so there you go <laughs> you know Yep. So let's move on to to your book uh, because I don't know that I really know anybody who's like actually written a full a full book before, and you you've written two. So the first one uh, you have is called "Build Your OmniFocus Workflow," and you co-authored mm -hmm. that with Ryan Dotson. 
Yes. Yeah. So Ryan was a fellow OmniFocus 3 beta tester like myself. Um, and we both thought, hey, you know what would be really interesting that we would both enjoy writing a book about OmniFocus. Uh, and so we did that collaboratively at the time he was living in Japan. Um, and I'm here in Austria. So we had time zone differences, but also overlap. Um, and that was, you know, great fun to do. Um, and it was good to work with him because he's, uh, so he's, uh, an English teacher, a former English teacher as well. Um, and his grammar standards are considerably better than mine. So <laughs> I caused him many a migraine with my, my errant comma usage. I do like to just randomly scatter them all over the page and nowhere near where you would actually expect a comma to appear. I tend to just write and then try and figure everything out later. Um, and so, uh, poor Ryan had to deal with my, my, uh, my poor grammar there. Um, <laughs> and th that was really great to, to work with Ryan on that. And we did that totally independently. We did that all on our own. Uh, the only help we got is we got somebody else to design the book cover. Um, Josh Hughes, who's also done a lot of OmniFocus perspective icons. Um, because, uh, we both, Ryan and I both agreed, uh, we could do artwork, but, uh, it might not be great. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> get somebody else who actually knows what they're doing there to do that for us. Well, and it's, it's a cool, I love that like sort of rainbow dots with the check mark sort of like inversed in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we just gave Josh a couple of ideas and that's what he came back with. And he actually did the podcast artwork for nested folders for us as well, um, which was really nice of him. So. Nice. So how did you go about uh, making this? Like, had you ever done any technical documentation before? Um, ish. So I used to work in the service center actually in at the university that I worked for before I was uh, before I became a programmer there I was working in the service center and a lot of that um involved in my case actually translating documentation and making Mac specific documentation oh. um, because when I started there um there was another person who had a Mac as well but he left shortly after I joined um and so um they needed people to test that everything was actually working on the Mac as you would expect it to and also to take the screenshots and write up the documentation. Um, and so I had to go through and translate all of the existing documentation for everything else into not just English, but decent English, because uh, there was some interesting Google Translate bits in there before. <laughs> and so I went through and, and cleared all that up. And it's like, okay, you've got about 8,000 ways of saying connection. And I'm just going to use the word connection in English, because uh, German can be quite wordy in some ways. They have many words for the same thing, uh, especially finance. Finance is not just finance. There's like 8,000 different kinds of e economics. Um, and so uh, th that translates generally quite well to all of the technical sphere where you're there going, okay, there are lots of different words that are being used here. English does not have these nuances. Okay, let's just keep it simple, you know, and bear in mind that a lot of the people reading this documentation won't necessarily be thinking English as a first language, um, which was something that we also tried to keep in mind in Build Your OmniFocus workflow, that a lot of people wouldn't be speaking English as a native language. Um, and so they would be reading these things, and we wanted to not make them reach for a dictionary every th three words or so. Interesting. So it's... Like English is sort of the intermediary language that mm -hmm. more people have access to. Yes, exactly. Um, especially the the universities here in Austria, they get a lot of Italian students um, because Italy's so close. Um, and of course, you have Erasmus students. That's the European, essentially, university exchange program. And so you've got students from around Europe, and English is is the de facto, you know, lingua franca. Uh, slightly ironically for the French, um, and <laughs> um, you know, and so there were a lot of international students, and also we would have master students from all over the world um, 
because Austria is relatively cheap to live and study in, and they've got a, a good education system here. Um, so, you know, you'd have a lot of students and they would not necessarily speak English as a first language. And, you know, most of them were still learning German. Their German may not have been as, as good as their English. So having, you know, things like technical instructions available in English definitely made life easier. And it certainly meant that I actually understood how all of our systems worked, which was a very good side benefit. Yeah, I have to imagine, like, whoever is doing technical docs for any system is probably the person who understands it better than anybody probably including mm. the people who wrote the system in the first place you say that but every so often i i come across documentation you know things i did you know back when i was working in the service center and i look at it and go i have absolutely no idea what i meant that but i'm pretty certain that's wrong see <laughs> <laughs> well uh, so. i do that with my code for usually a day or a week old code so uh that's probably oh, uh, yes. <laughs> no this morning i got to work and i looked at something i wrote yesterday and i went i have absolutely no idea why i did this or what i did uh and more importantly i have no idea why this works <laughs> yeah that's always a scary realization yeah yeah I, I left it alone and it did indeed blow up later in the day but i found out why and fixed it properly so. <laughs> <laughs> so so you had some experience with technical documentation but how did you go about building a big book um like what apps did you use and this especially in this case you were working with another person yeah so ryan and i started out with um uh, my node document on my side um, and uh, uh, then you know we, we shared it back and forth and looked at it and tried to figure out what apps we were going to use to write it um, and then we realized that Ryan did not have my node and his my node trial was coming to an end and he was there going well I don't really want to buy it if I'm just going to be using it for the book and it's like well this is probably a good opportunity to move our, our document into Omni Outliner which is of course a much more linear approach to outlining a book uh, because we knew that we were going to need some kind of ordering in there at some point and while you can do that in a mind map form it's just not as strict right i mean by by definition it's uh it's yeah. more like loose yeah so uh so ryan and i switched over to omni outliner and did some messing around there and, and got things you know roughly ordered and tried to figure it out um and then we tried to decide how we were going to write the book and at one point we had this this idea of well we'll write it in markdown files and store them in github so that we can each check it out and do pull requests and things like that and then uh, I said, uh, wait, have we thought about using Scrivener? Um, and Ryan had a look at Scrivener and said, well, it seems like it was made for writing books, which it is. <laughs> uh, and said, well, we should probably just use this. Now, uh, for people who don't know Scrivener, it's, it was an, it's an app. It's written by a company called Literature and Latte. And the original, uh, uh, creator of the app, who still maintains it and works on it to this day, um, wrote it because he was writing a book and he couldn't find any good software to do it. Now, the only catch with Scrivener is it is not meant for multi-person editing. Mm. It is a strictly one device use at a time, which meant that Ryan and I were having to send each other iMessages of, hey, can you uh, exit the book, please? I want to do something in it. And uh, Rose, you left the book open again. Please, can you tell me that you've not fallen asleep so that I can <laughs> actually do some work on it this morning? Um, <laughs> that one came a few times. So you just had like a single file in like Dropbox or iCloud y or something? Yeah, exactly. We had the single file in Dropbox syncing back and forth between us. Um, and then inside of Scrivener, um, you can color code the files. Um, and so we, we had a system of color coding um, of... Um, 
a light color. So Brian was green and I was purple. Uh, so the light color would be, I'm working on this. The dark color would be, hey, can you please review this? Um, and then I believe we had some kind of brown color, which is, I have no idea what we're doing here. We should probably talk about this at some point. Um, and um, there, there was definitely a color for that. I can't remember if it was brown or not. I think it was. Um, and um, we we just kind of went from there. So we went through and looked at things and called dibs on bits and so on. Um, and um, yeah, just wrote chunks and went through the bits that the other person had written. Um, and then at the end, we we converted it to PDF um, and and went through it on our iPads with Apple pencils to to try and find spelling mistakes and things like that. And you know, um, widows and orphans, as they're called typographically, where you've got just one sentence on a page or something like that um or just the titles on a page um uh and then the actual content of the chapter is on the next page fixed all of that and uh yeah it somehow worked and i'm still <laughs> quite impressed that nothing actually blew up on us we did run into a couple of collisions in scrivener um where one of us had opened the document and, and left it open the other person had opened it and not read the warning that it was open on another device and just kept working um, but they were all merged back together successfully and no serious work was lost, which is always good. Nice. So how long did you end up working on that? Oh, gosh. I mean, we launched it just before Christmas. And I think we started working in September. So three months or so. Wait, that was Christmas of last year? Uh, the year before. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. I was yeah, like, yeah. man, did you get two books written in like that short amount of time? No, no, gosh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I'd done that, I would have actually had a nervous breakdown instead of just thinking I was going to have one a couple of times. Um, but yeah, and then we, we had to coordinate the wa- launch. And originally, we, we had planned on doing US time-wise, but Ryan is in Japan. And for people who don't know, you know, Japan's asleep and the US is awake pretty much. Um, and so that would have involved either him getting up really early or staying up really late. So we decided that we would just launch it while we were both awake. And that way, if there were any significant problems, there were two people around to deal with it rather than one. Um, and it turns out there were no significant problems. So we sort of sat there and all, well, you know, people slowly bought the book and went, oh, wow, this is scary, but in a good way. <laughs> so how did you launch it? Like, how are you even selling the book? Uh, so I just threw together a quick WordPress site with WooCommerce um, and a, a theme that I, I bought a couple of years before that was still getting updates. Um, it's based on Genesis, um, which is a framework theme um, in WordPress. Um, and uh, so we just put WooCommerce in there, set it up with Stripe and PayPal for payments. Um, and uh, yeah, did that. Um, and it worked <laughs> so we had to do a couple of test uh, runs but fortunately stripe and paypal both have uh, test credentials that you can use where they won't actually charge you which is good because i would otherwise i would have had to buy my own book several times um <laughs> <laughs> just giving stripe their uh, like 10 percent or yeah, whatever i think it's like three percent actually it's not that much yeah or three yeah i'm in uh, apple numbers so. yeah yes <laughs> apple's 30 percent um and we yeah. also set it up with uh, smashwords and smashwords allowed us to submit to apple and a couple of other places like we're on the Kobo store and so on and we had wanted to sell through Amazon um, but Amazon wants a really large amount of revenue if your book is over at something like 10 or 15 dollars I think they want like 80 percent um, and oh, so wow. yeah so we decided that you know like as much as we would love people to give the option to buy it directly on their Kindles and just load download it from Amazon we don't like that option that much so if you buy it from us you get all three formats and and you can just send it to to your kindle via the secret email address yeah i was about to say can you send you can send files manually over to the kindle 
Yeah, yeah, you can. Okay, so. that makes sense. Yeah, so we, we suggest that as a workaround for people because I, I, I have a feeling most people won't want us to give 80% to Amazon either. Because um, Yeah, that's uh, unexpected. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it makes Apple's 30% sound really reasonable, doesn't it? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely could be worse. Uh, and so then last year, uh, you came out with a book all on your own. And this was the Take Control of Shortcuts automation on the go for iOS and iPad OS. Yeah. I can't take all the credit. So it's my name on the front cover, but Joe Kissel at Take Control was both my editor and the publisher. Um, and honestly, you know, like it, it, I needed somebody else there going, uh, <clears throat> commas? Are they <laughs> entirely optional? Or how about consistent spelling or just spelling? Have you heard of spell check every so often um and i pity joe for what he had to go through um with this especially because i had to write in american english which i'm not very good at it turns out um that was really hard to do now american english just meaning like the spelling of words like color yeah not just spelling though there's a bunch of grammar um so for example uh write in in american english you would just say oh yeah i'll write him for me, as a British English speaker, I'm there going, you're missing a word here. You're missing the two. Please add two. You write to somebody. You don't write them. Um, you know, you, uh, you're not writing uh, yeah. a person here. You're, you're writing to a person um, and, and stuff like that. So there are a whole bunch of things in there and just little things. And especially the, the formatting was a little tricky because um, the, the program that we use allowed us to automatically create the EPUB and the Mobi and the PDF, but that meant that you had to write in rich text. And I am so used to writing in markdown format and converting everything to rich text later and adding formatting that that was quite tricky. Um, and fortunately, I was able to set up a bunch of keyboard shortcuts to help me with that. But every so often, I'd go through and look at it and go, huh, so it turns out just wrapping a word in underscores doesn't automatically make it italic. <laughs> and so this was through Take Control Books, which is like a, a book publishing company. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, Take Control are a publishing company specifically take control of Mac and iOS related things. Um, and they're based actually in California as well. Um, uh, you know, a lot of my life seems to be based in the US at the moment, which is uh, intriguing for somebody who lives in Austria. <laughs> um, but yes, so they, they publish a whole, a whole series of things. And, and Joe, the publisher is actually the most prolific author. Um, and he took it over a while ago, actually. So how did that, how did that whole thing get going? Like, did you approach them or did they approach you? Yeah, I approached Joe because he'd sent out a, a survey to take control, uh, customers a while before asking, you know, what you wanted to see a book about. And of course, I didn't put down that I wanted to see a book about shortcuts because I already know about shortcuts. Um, <laughs> and then I was looking through the lineup going, well, do they have a book on shortcuts? Maybe I could learn something from it if they do. Um, and I couldn't find one. So I emailed Joe and he got back to me very quickly. And then we talked and he said, well, it's not that I don't want a book on shortcuts. It's just that I think that, you know, not that many people are going to buy it. Um, and that, you know, that that's a poor bet for both of us because you'll have to invest a bunch of time. We'll invest money and, you know, we won't really do very well. Um, and then he did some more thinking about it and said, you know what? I think actually we can make this work. Um, and so we went through and I, I did an outline and the process for me is pretty much always the same. I start with a mind map, then I switch to an, an outline, um, and then I, I transfer it into, into the writing program. Now, usually I would use drafts. Um, for Take Control, we use Nicest Writer Pro, um, which a lot of people have never heard of. It's it's an old program, but it's a very good program. Um, if uh, occasionally persnickety, uh, <laughs> it has opinions about how things should be done, and then that's how you do it. Um, and I just got on with writing in there. Um 
Now, of course, uh, this month I couldn't write on iOS, um, which is a shame because I was writing about iOS. So I would be sitting at my desk with two monitors and two iPads, um, one running the beta, <laughs> one running the beta OS, which is my primary iPad because I live life on the edge. Um, and then, um, another iPad running the, the st- standard release. Um, because, uh, as I was writing the book, a lot of things were still broken. That's what I was going to ask. Like, when did you start this? Because the iOS 13 train specifically with shortcuts as a developer who was writing an app that has shortcut support at this time, uh, it was in serious flux. Yeah. Um, so I started writing this right around the time I think iOS 13 released. I'd have to go back and double check to make sure that I'm definitely right about that. But I think I started it right about then. Um, and I knew that things were broken. Um, and of course, you know, you're filing feedback about things and talking to other people and other people are like, yeah, this is broken for me too. And well, I've heard it's getting fixed and other people are going, yeah, I heard that's getting fixed too. Um, and so you're just there going, okay. Um, and the, the worst one is I wrote this really long shortcut about, uh, setting your day up in the morning. Um, one of the things I was doing was iterating through calendar events and the, the, um, public release before the book launched broke my shortcut. Not broke my shortcut in a way that it wouldn't run anymore, but broke my shortcut in a way that even if you're following all of my instructions, you wouldn't be able to do it because you couldn't repeat with each and use your repeat item as a calendar event, <laughs> which oh. was unsurprisingly a bit of a deal breaker. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to iterate through a bunch of calendar events to get data out of them, uh, you couldn't anymore. Um, so, um, you know, I felt that and just had to put a note in the book and be like, oh, unfortunately, at the time of release, this is broken. Uh, you may be able to do it. If you've had an update since I think that was 13.2. Um, but, um, you know, I, we can't guarantee it, but you can always download it. But here are the instructions on how you would do this if this is working in shortcuts. But fortunately, I think that was the only thing that was broken that remained broken uh, while I was going. How are how are you keeping up with that? Like, it almost seems like you'd have to have like, like in developer world, we have regression tests that you run before you, you know, launch an update to make sure nothing's broken. But since... Apple was changing things behind the scenes on you. Did you have to like go through the book and look at all your shortcuts and make sure they're all working like you were expecting? Well, this was the other reason for two iPads. I could have the short the the shortcut that was linked in the book on one iPad and I could go through it on the other iPad and recreate it step by step. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Which is an extremely painful process to do when you're there going, I could optimize this. No, don't optimize things. You've already (laughs) written 300 words about this. Don't change it because then you're going to have to write another 300 words um, and redo all of the screenshots. And that's not insignificant amounts of work, Um, you know, especially one that's already gone through the editing process and the approval process. You have to make it work. Uh, You have to pretty much leave it and just hope that the shortcut works. So, yeah, I was sitting there with two iPads, you know, in the evenings. Most people will be doing something like, I don't know, watching Star Trek or knitting. And I'm there with two iPads looking at the shortcut on one of them and recreating it on the (laughs) other. My boyfriend's there going, are you sure you're all right? Like you're kind of obsessive about this at the moment it's like well, yes i've got a book launch coming and if this doesn't work as i'm talking about it then i need to at least note that in the book for other people man so so then it launched in december of last year right yeah how did how did that go uh, that went really well better than i was expecting actually because i was a little nervous about it because I, i'm sure a lot of the people at who who buy take control books are not necessarily the sort of people that um 
this that shortcuts would necessarily intrigue. A lot of their demographic are heavy Mac users, and shortcuts is most decidedly not on the Mac. Um, Automator is, but shortcuts is not. Um, and so I was I was nervous about it, but it went really well, and I had a lot of people, Automator's fans and friends, say, "Hey, I saw that your books for sale, and I bought a copy." And I'm like, "Oh, this this makes me feel good." Um, and some of the the app developers who I mentioned in the book, you know, I reached out to them to let them know, and they were like, "Yep, I've already bought a copy, and I'm reading it." It's like, "Oh, okay." that that's terrifying but okay (laughs) yeah i basically grabbed it simply because i wanted to see like the because you're kind of targeting people who don't already know all about it yeah and i wanted to make sure that i was thinking of things the right way Mm -hmm. in terms of how normal people would look at shortcuts because i'm obviously like deep in the weeds on how the apis and stuff work and so it was really helpful as a resource just for that yeah yeah so uh, what that was the biggest uh difficulty for me as well because i'm so deep in this world that i don't recognize you know when when things are really complex so i was there going okay i really need to like take take a couple of steps back should i think like my mom my dad my grandmother yeah um you know like how do i look at this and you know that was the the important part of having an editor as well he was there going like okay programmer me gets what you're talking about other me has literally no idea um and you need to fix that so the other me completely gets it as well um and and that yeah because it's so like shortcuts can be insanely complex some of the shortcuts that i have you know they're making http requests of things that you don't even think you could make a http request to um there's a system at work that we used to clock in and clock out it doesn't have api support but it uses uh, basic authentication so i can send a request to it and it will clock me in (laughs) however due to the way that shortcuts works it actually returns something that says it failed um so i just have to know that and work with it but i can't expect other people to know that um and so i was putting in uh, you know i've put in things like you know how do you talk to the Airtable api um and i specifically wanted to include that one because the documentation for the Airtable api is generated based on your Airtable basis so you go through and create a database that meets your needs and then it creates documentation automatically that matches that um which i thought for for people would be really useful so i used one of their template bases and basically showed you how to talk to it giving you you know ideas of how you could use it um but still that you know, that's a big challenge to go, okay, assuming this person doesn't know about programming at all, how do I explain this? Like, do I use the word iterate or do I stick with the, the shortcuts version, which is repeat with each? But if I say repeat with each 10 times in the same paragraph, you might want to kill me. So I should probably <laughs> introduce the word iterate or loop through, but then I have to explain the concept of loops. <laughs> yeah, so that was tricky. Ah, oh, that's fascinating it it kind of is it reminds me of of designing an app uh in the sense that like you're trying to guide people through something and you can you can get people to do things that are very complex but you have to like guide them through that so like you were just saying you can use the word loop but then first you have to sort of explain what that is yeah and i've never really thought of that from uh like a book writing perspective but you're sort of taking people on this journey through this book and Ah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. Do, so, do you have like sort of user profiles of like who you're you're targeting? <laughs> no, I I don't use I don't do user stories uh, to, to, from there. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it, that is the kind of thing, though, isn't it? It's it's the same with the agile method. You know, like okay, so what is this person looking to achieve, and how can they do that? Um, I I didn't really have that, but I did have people in mind for my sample shortcuts um you know like who's the kind of person that might use this um and things like that 
um, so that I, I would know, you know, what they were trying to achieve. And that was that was the other challenge. Coming up with sample shortcuts that both were not inane, but also were easy to understand or easy enough to understand. And trying to capture that balance was quite tricky. Yeah, it's kind of an amorphous thing to try and wrap your head around if you're not already familiar with like scripting as a concept which is who target or who shortcuts is sort of almost built to to address is like bringing these people in who don't necessarily want to you know write scripting code necessarily but Mm -hmm. do it in a user-friendly way and i the shortcuts team and the workflow team before like did an amazing job and still have a really difficult job targeting that group of people but uh but you sort of had to inherit that same problem space i guess Yes, yeah, basically, um, it's where these things of, you know, like, oh, well, is is this person actually going to use it? And some of the feedback I've got, you know, uh, I had an example um, event template um, in there and somebody said, well, I'm not going to use that because I already have to look at my calendar. And if I'm already in my calendar, then I'm just going to add the event right there. And it's like, well, yes, but if you have to add, you know, specific addresses and notes and stuff like that, you, you know, you're, you're going to make a mistake. So you, you, you missed the part at the start of the book where I said, well, it's not just about speeding things up it's it's about the accuracy um which is the other part that i was trying to keep in mind when when i was you know explaining these things to people you know like some some of the times ease automation it's not because it's faster it's because it's more accurate um and i think that that was a selling point for a lot of people so have you heard from people that have read the book that it sort of brought them into the shortcuts world at all Yes, yes, I have. A lot of people have told me, oh, yes, you know, like, now there's a book I can actually watch it. You know, I can actually get it because, um, of course, David Sparks had his field guide, uh, video field guide, and that came out. Um, and so we've got a little bit of friendly competition going on there between the automators. <laughs> um, but, you know, a, a book is very different. And I have always much more been a book person than a video person. If I Google so- how to do something and there is a 10 minute YouTube video and a 2000 word article, I will pick the 2000 word article every time because I can just scroll past the parts that don't interest me. But trying to skim past the parts that don't interest me in a YouTube video is so much more difficult. Um, and I think a lot of people feel that way in many respects. And some people are like, oh my gosh, 2000 word article. Ugh. No, I'd much rather watch a video and that's totally okay. And, you know, if they, they think that's the case, I'm very happy for them to buy David's uh, field guide because that's clearly going to be better for them. Um, and, you know, I also made a point of, you know, well, David's field guide exists. I am not going to copy any of his shortcuts because then for the people that have got both, they've got different, completely different, you know, results out of this. They've got two different things. But I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, they, they've got it now. Um, and they've been asking for other resources where they can, you know, see other sample shortcuts. And that's always lovely to be able to point them towards Mac stories and, and David and, and Matthew Castanelli as well to, to give them other places where they can get good things. Yeah, that's that's got to be like a cool feeling to sort of uh, guide people into this world. I guess it's it's a similar thing to, like you said, you wanted to teach uh, any teaching position is sort of getting to like bring people into a world. And if you can explain it to them in a way that they get, uh, it could literally change their life. I mean, that sounds a little, uh, you know, uh, uh, extreme, but you know what I mean? Like having a automation mindset can definitely change how, how you live your whole life. Yes, it definitely can. And even if it just makes things easier. So my dad doesn't realize it, but he uses shortcuts almost every day because he has a blood glucose monitor. He's not diabetic. He just checks his blood sugar to make sure that it's still within normal boundaries because he has had issues with it before. Um, and he wanted to log this data into the health application. Well, anybody who's tried to use this manually, logging data into the health application, 
it's a bit of a nightmare. So I created a shortcut that's on his home screen. Um, and when he's, he sees the blood glucose monitor, it's there and it works for him. And that is the sort of thing that, you know, it, it hasn't necessarily changed his life, but it meant when it means when he goes to the doctors that he can pull out his phone and show the doctor this graph and the doctor can look at it and go, well, that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong there. I'm totally happy with that. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's now less stressed. Um, and I, I, you know, it's the small wins like that that I think that everybody really ought to be looking for when it comes to automation, because those are the ones that are really going to change your life um, for the better. Um, just, you know, getting rid of that tiny little bit of aggravation every time. So one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, just because this is like a world that you seem to understand extremely well, is uh, this year, uh, I was going to say at WWDC, but whatever it is that ends up happening where Apple introduces, you know, iOS 14, um, what would you like to see in the shortcuts or just general automation space coming out of them? <sighs> that is really tricky to see because some of what I want is actually more hardware based. So I would like to see them actually roll out a keyboard with a trackpad, which thanks to Mac rumors, we, we think is almost certainly coming. Yeah, yeah. That's a fresh <laughs> off of the rumor mill. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other thing that I would like to see is better podcasting support for iOS. Um, now, I know I'm being extremely selfish here um, because for the vast majority of people, this will make absolutely zero difference being able to specify the audio inputs and outputs on your device. Um, and it should take, you know, that all applications should use this and that I can use two different applications with the microphone at the same time. But I think that that will, you know, unleash a whole wave of creativity for people. Um, because right now, a lot of people who work with audio can't use iOS really. I mean, you've got Ferrite and a few other things which really do make working with audio on an iPad, iPad or iPhone Great, but a lot of people can't actually record on it. And I feel that, that that's kind of missing. Um, and of course, automation-wise, I am looking to see what happens next with shortcuts. I'm hoping that we're going to get more integration, um, both, um, you know, taking out the the currently, in most cases, outdated um, system shortcut actions that are there. So, for example, OmniFocus have recently added their own actions, but the original OmniFocus actions are still there, and they're actually broken um, at the first some oh, reason. No. Um, and I know a lot of app developers have seen this over the years, you know, and you have to contact the shortcuts team, and by the way, can you, can you update this, or can you replace this, or can you remove this? Um, and that's tied to the release cycles, and that is great for the shortcuts team. I'm, I'm really excited for them that shortcuts is shipping directly on iPad OS. Um, I'm just hoping that the gallery gets a bit of an improvement because I've noticed uh, recently some shortcuts that you can download from the gallery are broken. Um, oh, man. So I've, I've been filing reports on these and I would encourage anybody else who downloads a broker shortcut from, from the shortcuts gallery in the shortcuts app to report that as well with the feedback to Apple. Um, but that that, you know, I'm hoping that they can automatically create shortcuts, not just create suggestions for shortcuts, but they will start actually automatically creating shortcuts and they will let people add multiple phrases to one shortcut to trigger it through the 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 information interface, uh, things like that. That would be really interesting to see because I think a lot of people don't quite understand right now that if they want to add, you know, if they want three different ways to trigger a shortcut with their voice, then well, you don't duplicate your shortcut or recreate your shortcut or you add another shortcut and you use the run shortcut action, but that doesn't feel intuitive. Um, and I'm hoping that the intuitiveness will improve and that my English will probably, you know, improve so that I don't create as many new words as intuitiveness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I secretly am hoping that they uh, 
they expand on the sort of, what do they call them? Automations within shortcuts, mm-hmm. which is a weird word, but the things where it can be triggered, like sort of in the background. Yes. Um, specifically, I wish you could run a shortcut that is allowed to run in the background from a timer without the user having to interact with it. Yes, that that would be awesome. Because, yeah, everybody asks me for like me to add a timer function where you can like, you know, set a sound to kick off at a certain point in the morning or whatever. And there's really weird hacks to do that in iOS, but it's not really a thing that we have the ability to do. No. But if you could make a shortcut, then you could just set an alarm. And uh, I have enough shortcut support that I would just kind of get that for free. So yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Well, I'm hoping that um, at the very least that they are going to give us an action called run shortcut when. Um, so that then you can say, okay, like right now I am going to schedule this shortcut to run at this time. So then when you turn your alarm off in the morning, it can say, okay, and at 10 o'clock start playing dark noise. Um, and maybe you will be able to get rid of the notifications and they'll say, well, it, you know, I'm running your shortcut now. It's 10 a.m. and you asked me to do this 8.30 when your, your alarm went off. But, you know, if, the, if they could give us an action that says, okay, well, wait this, you know, X period of time or when I get to this location today. Let me do this. So maybe, you know, we'll have to build this into other automations. But I think that that would be pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm going to wrap up by asking the question that I ask everybody on the show, which is what's a person or people out there that have inspired you that you recommend other people follow? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of cheating here because I, w- I would have to go with David Sparks because without David, I wouldn't have started Automators and I, I don't think I would be where I am today. Um, but a lot of people are already following David. So I, I'm going to go with a second person as well. Um, and that is actually Scotty Jackson, my host and Nested Folders, because he is really giving me different ways to look at shortcuts and automation. He doesn't consider himself a professional automator, unlike myself. Um, and it's really interesting to see what he comes up with and how he changes things and creates things that work for him. Um, so yeah, two people for people if they're not already following David. Yeah. And that, that like, uh, different perspective is always really nice because once you become a power user, this is the thing that like, uh, Mike Hurley and Federico Vitici were talking about on the latest connected where everybody's talking about their opinions on how iPad multitasking should work. And they're kind of like, they're trying to step out of their expertise on how all that works. And, you know, it's kind of hard to have that perspective of like, a normal is a is kind of a weird word to use, but you know what I mean. A person who like doesn't live and breathe in this space to see how they how they use these tools that you know so well. Yes, absolutely. And I I showed my mom multitasking on her iPad a couple of weekends ago, and she did not know that this feature existed, <laughs> which I think pretty much says everything about that. But at the same time, I asked her how she would want multitasking to work because I was like, okay, this is perfect opportunity. She had no idea this exists. And she was like, well, I guess the way it works is kind of logical, but I wish they'd told me about it. <laughs> so Yeah, so just like some sort of discoverability yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, so I don't know what the answer is on that one either, but finding finding different perspectives and getting other people to, to talk you through these things is always useful. And that's one of the many things that Scotty is good at for me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rosemary, for coming on. This is really exciting. 
Well, thank you very much for having me. It was lovely to actually get to talk to you because I've been recommending your app for a long time to a lot of people. So I'm glad to actually talk to the creator. Oh, yeah. I guess I should thank you in person. You you gave me a... Uh, uh like award uh, on the sweet setup, right? Uh, yes, uh, I, 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 I was assistant in getting you that award because uh, we all had to nominate things, and I, I got in there early, so I got to nominate Dark Noise. Well, I can't tell you how excited I was whenever I started getting the tweets uh, <laughs> that morning. So, thank you very much for that. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to be able to recommend it because it is so nice to see both new applications that actually look good and work, and that have automation support. Because a lot of people will be like, why do you need automation support in a white noise application? And I'm like, oh, I could tell you all of the things. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like the cool thing with Apple is once you start supporting something, you just start getting this long tree of things that you get for free. Yes. Um, I can't tell you how many times I get uh, tweets from people that Apple's like automated recommendation system will just pop up a thing on their notification center that says, hey, do you want to start this sound right as they're going to bed? Because because I just happened to support those APIs, I got all that for free. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, any developers out there, there is compounding uh, interest whenever it comes to oh, yeah. adding automation support or any of those like APIs that Apple really pushes. Yeah, I, I really need to add that to, to Wemworks at some point, but I've only just taken it over and I'm still digging through the code base trying to figure out, do I actually understand Objective-C? Um, <laughs> the answer is no, I don't really understand Objective-C, so I'm working on updating things without breaking things first. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, so uh, <laughs> we can share that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. You can also discuss the episode with me, other listeners, and sometimes our guests on our dedicated subreddit, r slash launched.fm. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. <laughs>